welcome to More Games and Time. This is episode three. I'm Lee. I'm Roger. And well, we're we're not exactly a news podcast, but we do have some news. Yeah, something you've been wanting to talk about, or want to talk about, I should say, uh, that affects you more than it does me, I think. Yeah, so uh, last Thursday the news was released that uh, Asmodee has bought Board Game Arena. And, well, I mean, it's 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 the usual way. I, I've been in the tech industry for a while, and it always sounds like this. It's always the rhetoric about how nothing's going to change, and we're now a part of the bigger family, and maybe this time it'll be right. Maybe this time it'll, it'll, it'll work perfectly. But the, the way it usually goes is it gradually decays, because the new owner wants to make a profit out of it. We'll see. I hope well, for the presumably best. Presumably there's, um, there's going to be a merging some point down the line between uh, between Board Game Arena and Asmodee Digital. Well, possibly, but everybody I know who who uses Asmodee Digital products is really unhappy with the quality of them, so mm. who knows? And I, I know a lot of the publishers are quite hacked off about this because they, they were quite happy to say to, the, to a two-person organisation, yeah, sure, you can use our games, we don't mind. Yeah. They're, they're less happy to, you know, the billion-dollar-plus equity fund... I mean, I don't know how how different is it uh, Asmodee acting as the distribution partner for other well, publishers? Well, quite. Which so that's the thing. Do. I mean, about about the only thing they don't have is is their own general purpose storefront, and they have something pretty close to that. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. It's you know they, they make money off everyone anyway, don't they? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know. Will will more people jump ship to Yukata? Do you think? There's Yukata, there's Boitageur, there are a couple of other small sites, but they're, they're, they are all pretty small sites, and, and mm. I don't I don't think it's going to be a huge uh, bunch of people re- removing themselves from Yukata. I, I, I think a bunch of publishers may well say, well, not really happy to have our games there anymore, and may, maybe they will uh, try to get their games implemented in other places. But part of the thing is r- writing a particularly a multiplayer implementation of a board game that, that keeps all, enforces all the rules at you. Is, yeah. is, is not a trivial process. And it varies quite a bit from site to site. I mean, e- even if they've got whoever wrote the thing for BGA, they can't just say to that person, okay, please now go and implement it on Yukata. No. It, it, it's not that simple. So that's going to be tricky. Uh, we're not predicting I mean, the sounds, future. It it's just. Me, yeah, it sounds to me. It's, yeah. I've, I've only used Board Game Arena twice, I think, both times with you. Um, <laughs> But it sounds to me like this is something that, if it has any effect, it's not going to be one that we see for at least a year. Seems very likely, yeah. And yeah, I hope for the best. Yeah. Uh, you you uh, have some spare games. <laughs> oh yes, yes. Um, I, I found a, a demo copy of Dwarf in the house earlier when I opened a box that I hadn't opened since Essen twenty nineteen. <laughs> Um, so I put that up on uh, Thread, Thread and Board Game Geek in the One Player Guild. Um, free to a good home. I'll, I'll draw the winner sometime in the weekend of the 20th, 21st of this month. So, so if you're listening to this in the February. first few days after release, you might well be, you might still be in with a chance. Mm. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. <laughs> so this time uh, we're talking about what we've played and what we thought of other people's games. And uh, we've got an interview with a uh, organiser of digital conventions. Which happens to time in nicely with the board game arena news, coincidentally. Hmm. So, one thing I've been playing a bit recently is automobiles. 
2016 design from David Short. Yeah, this is a, a game that I've obviously heard about over the years and um, actually always wanted to play, but never had the opportunity. So you can tell me all about it now. <laughs> well, it's a racing game in that abstract sort of way. I mean, but yes, am I you... right in thinking this is part of the same sort of loose AEG series with um, Trains, which was the sort of deck builder board control hybrid game? Yeah, um, the, 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 their marketing name for this was Destination Fun, which <laughs> I may be the only person who now remembers. Uh, that that sounds yeah, like somebody was sat around at a meeting and decided they'd rather go for lunch. Yeah, so there, there was this, there was Trains, Hisashi Hayashi's Deck Builder, uh, which yeah. I've played a couple of times, that's so pretty, pretty solid, and mm. Planes, which is also a David Short design like this one, and it's, it's basically Mancala-ish. With, with nice. the theme of trying to get through an airport before anybody else. Mm-hmm. So um, have the games got anything to do with each no, other they're, other they're, than being marketed as a set? The, the, there's the sort of vague thematic connect, connection of some sort of travel, but otherwise, no. Um, yeah. they're, they're so probably no, the, the same no, marketing no meeting they've just been watching like John Candy films right beforehand. Yeah, they, they very carefully didn't call it Planes, Trains and Automobiles, presumably because of trademark <laughs> considerations, but obviously that's what everybody called it. Yeah. Um, but this, so yeah, th- this doesn't really have a connection. That we we will come back to that later when we talk about the expansions. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'll let you get but, on with it, Roger. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but, but basically, it's a bag builder. Um, so you 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 start off with your uh, bag bag of a standard set of cubes, mm-hmm. and you will gradually, as the game goes on, buy more cubes and get rid of the right, less yeah. useful ones. Uh, the way it works, though, is you you're pushing a car around a racetrack. Uh, You've got four colours of space, white, light grey, dark grey and black. Mm-hmm. Generally, the black ones go furthest. And you play a light grey cube, you move one light grey space. Right, okay. And and this, so is you're, you're controlling four cars per player? Uh, no, per, per player you have the one car. It's a, it's a two to five player game. Right, okay. So generally you want to get the darker cubes, but on the other hand, you can still be blocked and so on. Mm-hmm. And the the way the tracks are designed, you can't just... You know, go all out on black cubes and play nothing else. Yeah, those, those are the four gear cubes. You also got five coloured cubes, mm. uh, which roughly work the same sort of way. And the the yellow cube is always going to be some sort of power for tweaking what's in your bag. The purple is always going to be something to do with getting rid of the waste cubes you build up as you go along. The faster you go, the more waste you pick up. Right. Uh, but the exact details vary. And uh, in in the base game, you've got four for each of these, and you can just pick them at random or they've got a couple of selected sets mm-hmm. but in, any combination will be playable so you you that you're then balancing off um these the plain old movement cubes versus these special power cubes which might move you and might do other things that you want right the faster you go the more special powers the more wear cubes you get and then you have to have some way of getting rid of those because otherwise you can just draw a handful of them mm-hmm. uh so what one obvious problem I think people are game designers and publishers are more aware of now than they were four years ago, uh, is it has lousy color vision deficit friendliness because <laughs> you, you, you need to tell the green cube from the red cube and so on. Yeah. Uh, there isn't really a way to fix that with the game as it stands. I mean, you, you, I guess you could custom print cards or something like that, but mm-hmm. with cubes, cubes is what you got. Yeah. It, it's pretty abstract. If you're looking for actual racing simulation, this ain't it. Uh, you, you've got tracks that are, that, that are named for real world racetracks and they've, they've got some of the similar shapes, but 
yeah, it, it, it's, it, if you think, thinking of something like Flamme Rouge or Steampunk Rally, I think are in the same group, you, you can look at it as a race game with an odd movement mechanic, mm. or you can come at it from the other end and say, right, this is a bag building game or, or a drafting game with a very complicated scoreboard, which happens to look like a racetrack. <laughs> and I, I think those are equally valid, really. So how does that fit with your, your famed abstraction gap? Uh, it gets around it. <laughs> right. Okay. <I'm, laughs> there's enough racingness about it. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that it just about works. I mean, yes, all right. In theory, you're, you are redesigning your car as you go to fine tune it in the middle of the race. Just which very, doesn't, um, doesn't make sense. <laughs> but yeah. Um, but, um, you, you do have some actual racing elements. You, you've got drafting. If, if you manage to uh, end up immediately behind another car, mm-hmm. uh, then, then you don't take any of the wear for going fast, for example. So, that, okay. so there's a, a tactical consideration on that and, that, and there's a bit of blocking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a, it's not very soloable. Uh, there's no official solo mode. Yeah. Because uh, bas- basically what, you, what you'd really want for that is, is a bot that builds up its engine the same way you do. Mm. And obviously you, you've got all these possibilities of when you, how many cubes of a particular sort you want when you play them and so on. Yeah. What is the player count? Is it two to four? It's officially two to five. Right. Um, it's, it's playable as all of those, but I, I would agree with BGG that it's best at three or four. Mm-hmm. Um, the other, the, the others definitely work. Uh, the, the, there are two unofficial solo modes on BGG. One of them basically just has a car running around the track at a set rate. Right. Um, okay. the, the slightly more complex one, uh, involves moving, uh, cubes up and down a track to say, okay, that, you know, the, the red car opposition is now going to be moving four spaces of this sort, depending on how, how well you're doing it overtaking it or how badly you're doing it, it'll adjust slightly to that. Okay. Sort of a, um, a rubber banding thing. Yeah, but, but they're basically going for a reasonably consistent opposition rather than anything like a robot player, mm-hmm. which I, I think would be quite challenging. Mm. So then there's the 2017 expansion, uh, which is actually called Automobiles Racing Season, but it was originally released as a triple pack with the expansion for planes and the expansion for trains, <laughs> which if people had bought all three games would have been great, but very few people did because they're quite different games. Um, yeah. I mean, that's so um, classic annoying marketing, isn't it? Yeah, I, I think they did eventually reissue it as a separate thing. Certainly, the, uh, the the one I bought secondhand is is in its own box, which is just the uh, automobiles expansion. Uh, mm. That that gives you more more tracks, uh, more action cards. So you, you got to seven for each of the five colours. Mm-hmm. Uh, special driver powers add rules for a racing season. So put, put together a ser- series of races. That that's actually got a, a quite explicit rubber banding thing. Uh, right. You get you get sponsor powers at the end of the race. Okay. And it, um, you got you know, one sponsor card per player, mm. and if if you if you came in first place, you get the first choice of the sponsors, but you get the weakest power. Okay, uh, and as, as the, whoever's in last place get, gets the best best version of the last mm. sponsor left. So, yeah, that that does something to try, try to keep it together because otherwise, you know, if, if you've got somebody who just comes first in every race, then it's not much fun by the end of the season. Yeah, yeah, no, no, nobody, nobody likes a game with a runaway leader problem. I suppose apart from some people that just enjoy beating everybody all the time, <laughs> if they're lucky enough to win the first game. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, that, that's the game. Um, 
it's one I've actually, I, I've had it for a while. I, I bought mm. it when it was fairly new and it's, it's difficult to persuade people to play. I find cause it, it is in a, it is in a fairly big box and it looks complicated. And yeah. the, the rules don't do it a lot of favours. I, I did end up making a, a little half-page reference sheet right. to uh, remind people, well, this, guess, this is what you actually need to know during the game. Yeah, I guess there's an issue with the... I mean, I've seen this with some other games that look like one thing and are actually another as well, that perhaps when people are wanting to play a racing game or think of a racing game, they're, they're looking for something fairly light and simple. Yeah, uh, certainly I would say... If, if you're, if you want a game that feels like motor racing, this probably isn't it. Mm. Uh, it's a game that feels like fairly abstracted racing and a lot mm. of deck building. That, that said, um, I, I've had a lot of fun with it. Every, I, I noticed for a while, every, every time I would get it out and play it quite, quite often with the, um, basic configuration for new players, mm-hmm. I, I would think, yeah, I really enjoyed that. I want to play this more often. And I've been playing it recently on yukasa.de where they have a, a full working implementation. Yep. Uh, including the expansion material. Right. Um, so that's been a, a lot of fun. It, it's a, it's a, an odd little game. I think it, it, it's a <laughs> cliche, cliche thing to say, but, um, that, that is the way it feels. Uh, it's not really a racing game. It's not really a pure Euro deck builder yeah. or bag builder. It's somewhere in the middle, but, but it's, it, it works. It fits that, you know, some games, people, a, a thing happens and, and you have to say, oh, well, yeah, that is, that is a problem with this game. Let's try not to do that. It doesn't mm. seem to have anything like that. Uh, it just seems to be not, not quite easily fitting the categories. And I think that may be why it hasn't been a, a runaway success. No, I, I think, I think you're right. I mean, we've mentioned, um, when our chat to Nicholas on the last podcast, we mentioned how, um, Petition's Mouth Abyssal Rift was sort of overlooked, um, in its category of a dungeon crawler. And that's because mm. I think it, it's a very Euro game. So people coming to it thinking, I know how a dungeon crawler works, then find that they don't know this game at all. They, it doesn't meet what they expect of it. Mm. Conversely, people that enjoy Euro games look at it and think, oh, that's a dungeon crawler. It's not something I'm into. So I wonder if it's yeah. something similar here that people are expecting. Uh, you know, They have certain expectations of what the game should be based on the box. And yeah. either it's either it's not what they're expecting and they're expecting something lighter, or if it was the kind of game that they'd want to play, they were put off by what they thought it was going to be in the first place. I think I think that might well be it, yeah. Uh which is a shame. And I I would definitely recommend taking a look at it. Um for that, you know, not yeah. not not quite the Okay, it it's it's an outdated idea, but the the, the whole uh Ameritrash versus Euro axis. Mm. It looks a lot more Ameritrashy than it is. Oh, but I, yeah, I'd still happily happily try that out. I think. I mean, you've already said that you know they don't really bear any relation to each other. But I did enjoy playing Trains a couple of times. Um, mm. God, that would have been years ago now. I suppose not that long after it came out. Um, and that that was an interesting game, which at the time was uh, was very unusual because it combined that. Um, deck, deck build, basically was a deck builder, but it combined that with, um, root building on a, on a board. Mm-hmm. And yeah, in the last, well, since Clank came out, we've seen more deck builders that combine deck building and stuff going on on a board. But back then, for a while, a few years at least, that was the only game that did that. Yeah. Um, I, I don't think there was any particular, uh, collusion between the designers or anything like that. But no. that, 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 there's certain, um, the, these are all, 
games that you don't need to be an experienced gamer to, to pick up mm. reasonably easily. Um, and at the same time, they have, they have a decent amount of complexity in them once you got to know him quite well. So, yeah. 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 And worth investigating further. Okay. So that was automobiles. And you've been playing Apex Theropod, I believe. I have been playing Apex Theropod. Yeah. Um, so this is a game. I had the, the first edition of it. Um, and then I sold the first edition to get the second edition. <laughs> um, and recently the, the collector's edition has come out. Um, which I mean, maybe that inspired me to go back and play it again. I don't know. Um, it's had a, a very checkered, I think is, is the polite word to say checkered <laughs> publication <laughs> history. Um, a lot of angry Kickstarter backers from, from the first and the second editions. Um, but hopefully now with this latest edition, it's going to be easier to get hold of for a lot of people. Mm. Um, and I, I've, it's been one of my top five solo games since I first got a copy back in. I think it was 2016. Yeah. Um, at, at various points over the last five years, it's been the only deck builder that I've hung on to. Um, I think, you know, I, I, whether everybody does, I don't know. Some people sort of have a, a style of game they cling on to and love, don't they? And others sort of cycle through, mm-hmm. find something new, enjoy it for a bit and move on, which I think was kind of what I did with deck builders. Certainly, I didn't feel the the need to have more than one. And what I found with Apex was that somehow the me- the mechanisms just fit with the theme perfectly. Yeah. And it is a unique theme, I think. Um, so in the game, you are playing the titular Apex theropod, or at least you're a theropod, a, a carnivorous dinosaur, mm-hmm. um, and you're wanting to... The aim of the game is to to survive and be at the top of the food chain, basically. Um, and this fits the, the mechanisms of the deck builder far better than you might think. That you've mm. got a row of other dinosaurs coming out and you want to battle them. And um, if you do, that becomes food, basically, which you eat to buy cards from your own, um, what they call the hatchery. Mm. You've got your own little deck of player, uh, player deck where you'll turn over cards and buy them from that from that deck rather than the open play thing that you see in a lot of other deck builders. Yeah, I I see that uh, BGG reckons this supports up to six players, but it does seem to be primarily played as a solo game. Yeah. So, so even, if, even if you're multiplayering, you, you, you still have your own purchase pile. You, everybody has their own purchase pile. Um, so you play a, a particular species, um, and that's so... So you, you aren't mixing and matching species, you are a species... Which is what um, effectively a, a, a standard starting deck, yeah. Yeah. Um, so think they've changed a little bit as the additions have gone on. Um, the rules have changed a little bit, um, mostly on the multiplayer thing, which I think you were just t- sort of <laughs> referring to, and we might come back to that in a moment. Um, between the first and the second editions, what they did do was introduce more cards to everybody's player deck. Mm-hmm. Um, which meant that you got to do a bit of um, customization before you started the game. Um, knock some of those cards out to reduce the size of the deck. Right. So it's not exactly a starter deck. That is that is your deck through the course of the game. Um, so there's, there's say, a bit the of second deck edition. Yeah, from the second edition yeah. onwards, there's a little bit of deck construction there as well. Um, 
so the main uh, the main um, changes I think that happened to the rules. Um, the biggest ones from Solo between first and second edition were that uh, that deck thinning aspect, that deck construction aspect. Um, also, during the course of the first <laughs> the first rule set, there was a lot of rule sets for this game that got published as PDFs, mm-hmm. and it got really messy. Sometimes the PDFs were the most up-to-date rules. Sometimes, bizarrely, the print rule book was more up-to-date than the the PDFs. Mm-hmm. It, was, it got very messy. Um, but the other sort of significant change that happened at some point to the solo rules was um, the actual footprint of the game. The 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 rows of cards that you're buying um, evolution cards and attacking the the dinosaurs from. From memory, I think when Ricky Royal filmed his first uh, Kickstarter preview video for the first edition, um, there were three cards in that row at that point, and that then went up to four cards later on. Mm-hmm. That was the only. So those are the two biggest changes for the solo game, and I think most of the the praise the game has had over the years has been for the solo games. You see it quite often mentioned in the One Player Guild as a fabulous solo deck builder. Despite the fact that, as you say, it's officially for one to six players and has an enormous box. Yeah, though, as far as I can see, even in the multiplayer, you're not generally directly attacking other players. I mean, you're trying to get the prey before they do, perhaps, but... There, no. Um, so the, the multiplayer rules have changed a lot between editions. Where the solo rules have been fairly consistent, the solo, the, the multiplayer rules have changed a lot, been widely criticised every time. Um, and there, there is direct conflict between the players battling each other as well. Okay. So it, it, it does change the game, I think. I haven't tried playing the, the multiplayer game. I know, um, the last, the last get together we had here in Silverstone, um, Vicky was here the night before and asked to play Apex with me because it was a mm-hmm. game she'd already, always wanted to play. And I said, oh, I'm, I'm very sorry. I'm happy to show you how to play, but I don't want to play it with other people. Um, I'd heard, I've heard so many bad things about the multiplayer game that, and I, and I know that there are rule changes from the solo version that I just haven't even tried it. Right. But clearly it's good enough as purely a solo game that you're, you're happy to hang on to it. And yeah, as a solo game, it's fabulous. As I say, it's, 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 um, it's, it's a very streamlined, straightforward, um, sort of ascension style deck builder with, you know, by which I mean the rows of cards are changing as the as the game goes on round to round. It's not the static piles that Dominion has. Mm-hmm. Um, it lasts for up to eleven rounds, I think. Um, it's, so you've got a, a, a timer deck of um, what they call environment cards. You turn one over at the start of every turn, and the the final one is the the asteroid that hits and wipes out all the dinosaurs. Mm-hmm. If you haven't by that point defeated so, in the solo game, defeated. For the game. Yeah, well, exactly. Yeah, um, yeah. And if you haven't defeated the the boss, the, the big dinosaur in the solo game by that point, then um, that it comes out and uh, you play as many rounds as you can until one of you dies, and that's the end of the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in the multiplayer game, I think it's slightly different because, as I say, you're attacking each other and everything else. But it still holds up. It's still a still a very good. Um, simple deck builder, um, a highly thematic one. Um, it, it, it just works. Uh, yeah, it, the, the theme doesn't hurt. No, yeah, absolutely. I'm, 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 um, there are some people who don't like dinosaurs, but they're wrong. Well, exactly. Uh, yeah, I don't have time for anybody that doesn't like dinosaurs. But, I mean, b- beyond the fact that it's dinosaurs, this is the only, I think, dinosaur-themed game. 
in that it's not Jurassic Park. Mm-hmm. It's, it's the only game I can think of where you are actually playing a dinosaur doing dinosaur things. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about a, a, a couple, but it's, it's, you know, save your eggs from, from the human hunters who are time traveling or something like that. Yeah, exactly. They're all the sort of, the, you know, the, the pulp, pulp adventure style or Jurassic Park, or if you want to say something like, um, dominant species where, you know, there's dinosaurs in it, but there's also other creatures and, it's a bit more abstracted. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's a unique theme, yeah. I think. Yeah, it's definitely one I'd, I'd like to look at, though, from, from what, what I've seen. It's something, somebody was saying something like 600, 700 cards. In, There's in, a lot. In the basic box now. There's is, a lot. Yes. And that, that's up, with, up there with Firefly. And I like Firefly a lot, but I wouldn't mm. call it a, a compact game. No, it's, it's, it's not compact. Um, and the, the second edition that I own also has a, a T-Rex miniature for some reason. <laughs> uh, which I think is meant to be the first player marker. Uh, I'm one of the lucky few, I think, where it's never snapped. A lot of a lot of them were delivered snapped. <laughs> Joy, yeah. Um, but that's Apex Theropod deck building game. Uh, one I've been playing a bit on Board Game Arena, where it's fairly nearly out, is Downforce. Now, Downforce has a history. Oh, uh, doesn't it just? <laughs> As far as I can tell, and I may have missed something, but I think this originates with in 1974. So yeah, that, I believe nearly, so. Tem- nearly 50 Tempo. years. Tempo, Wolfgang Kramer's yeah. first published game. Yeah, uh, and it, and that 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 is basically an abstract game, uh, as mm-hmm. far as I can see see from the photos. Uh, it, it's yeah. been a racing. It's been Nicky Lauda's Formula One. It's been Daytona 500. It's been Detroit Cleveland Grand Prix. I think it's been published under seven different names in total. Uh, yeah. Um, so most of them, as you say, between mid-70s and mid-90s, that then went out of print for 25 years for some reason. Mm. And, and then Restoration Games uh, brought it out in 2017 Yeah, uh, as as Downfalls. I, I think it would be fair to say the common factor in these games is they, they've all got six racers, no matter mm-hmm. how many, how many uh, players you've got. Uh, they've all... You've, Every player has a hand of cards with movement amounts for usually more than one of those races. Yeah. So, so you might you know, move, move blue three and green seven or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the the other common factor seems to be that you, there is always a component of predicting the finishing order. Yeah. Uh, yeah. In Downforce I mean, I ha- specifically... I haven't yeah. played all of them the same as you, but I, I, mechanically I don't think it's changed that much, has it? Uh, I think things have switched in and out. I mean, in, in tempo, there is no blocking. It's it's purely a race up the board and back again. Yeah, and, yeah. and each each racer has their own track. Uh, mm-hmm. In downforce, blocking is a big part of it. Uh, you've yeah. got I don't know how many courses are in, in in the core game because the virtual board game arena has the expansion content. There, there, there are two in the in the core box. It's right, one double sided board. Um, but. At least with the games I've played so far, uh, blocking is very important because mm. yeah, you you, do, you don't have enough cards to uh, get get your car across the line first unless you're extremely lucky. Yeah. Uh, so what you end up doing is saying, okay, uh, the, the, this guy has to, has to move six in order for me to move four. Mm. Therefore, I, I I will wait to play that card until he's behind somebody else, so I, so I can get him blocked either either in a bit of narrow uh, yeah. road or just. Directly behind somebody, mm. so so he can't get out, and that that that's where the tactics comes in. Yeah, and the the prediction, the the finishing bonus can often 
outweigh the betting because the, the, if there's a if there's an obvious leader at the point where you have to predict who's going to come first, then everybody's going to bet on them. Yeah, I, I am told that with more experienced players, this isn't such a problem. Um, and that and one, one fix is you, you you've got to make this choice three times of who you think is mm. going to win, and the earlier you do, the earlier you do it, the more money you get if you're right, more points yeah. you get. Uh, but, but one suggestion on BGG is, um, don't, don't allow people to bet on the same car twice. Right, okay. I, I think this is the first Restoration Games, uh, publication I've played that's got really solid gameplay as well as the really good presentation. It, it really does. And I, I think, um, I mean, you know, Wolfgang Kramer is a, you know, a legend of board game designer. I didn't realize how long he'd been around until I played this. Hmm. Um, yeah, uh, El, El Grande and Tikal probably the best known of what he's done, but he's, he's got a feral. Uh... Yeah, the, the, the famous Kramer and Kiesling collaboration um, are still mm-hmm. going strong now. They had um, was it Paris on Kickstarter fairly recently. Yeah. Um. So yeah, and, and as you'd expect, yes, Tempo was his first published game, but obviously, as, you know, as you said, the Czech games changed a bit over time. Um, Downforce has. The restoration games designers, Rob Davio and whoever else is, um, putting some input uh, into just the design change there as case, well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it is a really solid game. Um, but it's also, a, it's a family weights game. It's very approachable. Mm. Um, track position in downforce is important that, so, you know, it's, it's, it's as approachable and as accessible as you'd hope a family racing game would be. But there's still enough going on that most board game players would um, would have some fun playing it. I think. Yeah, it's um, ob- obviously restoration games aren't aiming their games at me, and they would be mad if mm. they did because there's only one of me to buy them. Um, <laughs> I, I, I agree. They're, they're definitely m- making this. Um, you you can buy it having not played a game before, and it will explain it competently, and yeah. and, you'll, and you'll be able to pick that up. Yeah, it's it, it's not perfect. Um, no. But it's a lot of fun, um, and you, you've, I believe, put together a solo mode for it as well. I have, yeah. Um, published solo mode on um, on Board Game Geek. I put a, a file sheet up there. I think last April I started designing it, right at the start of lockdown, when when I'd recently taken delivery of my copy of the game, and my partner didn't want to play it with me every night. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was a fairly easy thing to do, I think, um, to try and replicate that. The, the, the buying of the cars at the beginning um, and the betting of the cars that go through. Um, there's a couple of advantages that I gave the, the AI in it. But it, I, I think and hope it replicates playing against one other player. Yeah. Um, and it's fairly easy to manage. I mean, the, the you know, there's the strategy in the game, as you say. There's um, the, the fact that your cards are normally going to move other people's cars as well. Um, but you get your hand of cards at the start of the game and try and ch- choose which car you're going to bid on based on your hand of cards. So it's not just completely random. Mm. Um, you, you, you choose your optimal car and then you try and time playing the cards at the right time. As you say, get into a good track position, get into a bottleneck, slow down for a couple of turns and let everyone bunch up behind you before sprinting ahead of them again to the next bottleneck, hopefully. Yeah, my, my experience so far has been that uh, I'm, I'm the one that uh, get, gets behind early on and then finds it difficult <laughs> to recover. But you know, fair enough. That that's uh, cle- clearly not uh, a problem with the game design so much as a problem with me. 
Um, I, I wonder sort of what influence it's had on other racing games as well, actually. I think you're obviously Flam Rouge is a car-driven racing game. Yeah, um, that's, well, we may, may well talk about that in, 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 a, in a future month. Mm. It, in, in that, you, d- you don't have the flexibility of, well, in, in this, you don't even know what colour you're going to be at the start of the game. You, you're going to end up with one or possibly even more if, if it's mm. a smaller than six player group, uh, cars that you're, you're trying to get across the line first. Yeah. Uh, whereas Flam Rouge, it's just, this is your team. These are your cards. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you don't have that, um, I, th- I think the principle in Downforce, and, and it's a good one, is that in theory, you can, do better by picking the right winner and backing them when everybody else thought they were going to lose mm. than you can by actually winning yourself. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's that level of distraction, like, like, um, you know, so an 18xx game where, where, um, you want your company to do well, but if you don't, you can sell it and, you, and run a different company. Yeah. And get yeah. If, if lump, you're halfway around the track and the death. If you're halfway around the track and you know you're going to come last, then you can actually still do it all right by betting on other cars. Mm hmm. Particularly if you've got a thing that's going to make them win when everybody else thinks they aren't going to. Absolutely. Although I'd suggest that most of the time, if that's the card you've got in your hand, you probably bid on the wrong card to start the game. Well, yeah. Or somebody, <laughs> or, but yeah, maybe somebody outbid you. Or... Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, there, there's. I mean, it's the same with any of the games like that, isn't it? There's, there's a certain point where no matter what cards you've got in your hand, if somebody else values it much more highly than you do, then you know, good luck to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, Odyssey is particularly with. I, th- I think this is the first time I've played a, a game with an auction where, you, where whether you win or lose, you keep what you bid. Mm. Though, um, yeah, you, no, that is you, that. I had to read the rules a couple of times when I first looked at that. You you retain the card, though you get negative points to represent the the money you theoretically spent. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's a lot of fun, and particularly one of the expansion tracks I think has uh, animals wandering across it, which randomly turn two lane sections into one lane sections and, and block spaces and so on. Which is just uh, okay. It's, it's, I don't think it's actually random. It's just um, looks random when when you're playing one game uh, mm. one turn a day. Uh, <laughs> they're, they're waiting for somebody else to take their turns. But, uh, yeah, De- definitely worth a look. Um, ag- Again, like automobiles, this, this may start to be a thing for me. It, it's not in any way an accurate simulation of racing, no. but but it feels enough like racing that there is a feel of a race is going on. Yeah, and, and as I say, you know, it's, it's not a deep game, um, but I think what it is is a very accessible game mm. um, in terms of in terms of its theme and its presentation and its rules, but that but it still has enough going on to entertain most people that. You know, maybe want to play a game with their family, and their families don't normally play as many games as they do. Yeah, and well, I'll admit my taste runs more towards um, you know, light, lightish, gateway-ish games than, than mm. I think many experienced gamers. Uh, I'm very likely to pick this up, n- not just for that. I'm, I, I, I will take it along to conventions, and I don't think I'll have trouble finding people to play it with. No, no. I mean, like you, I haven't really played many of Restoration Games as offerings, but it is good presentation. And that's which is always going to help get people to the table, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so that's uh, Downforce by Downforce. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I have been playing Halatau, which I've been teasing you with, I think, since our very first episode, saying I've been playing <laughs> this, but I'm still not confident enough to actually talk about it. <laughs> um. So, I am. I am finally going to talk about it. The 
does it count as the new hotness now if it's been out for three months? It's, it's, it's probably about as close as this podcast going to get, isn't it? <laughs> I, I, other, I, I have heard reviews of it on other podcasts, so so clearly, clearly, it's yeah, it, it's over, it's done with. I mean, why are you still playing that old thing? Well, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, I have avoided other people's opinions of it as much as I can, um, as I've tried to to work mine out. So I, I am a big Uwe Rosenberg fan. Mm-hmm. Um, from the solo perspective. I should say. Um, I'm trying to think if I've played any of his games multiplayer. Agricola, <laughs> <laughs> um, all creatures big and small. All creatures great and small, big and small. Big and small. Uh, big and small. Um, I, I, I believe a they two-player got a, game. A nasty letter from the uh, copyright owners or something yeah, like that. Yeah, J- James Herriot wasn't happy with them. I can imagine that. Um, yeah, I think that's the only one that I've played multiplayer. So this is an entire comparison from the solo perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing I've been wondering over the last few weeks is if there's such a thing as the Rosenberg trap. By which well, I mean... By, by, by all accounts, there is quite a lot of stuff here that you will recognise from other Rosenberg traps. Well, games. this is exactly what I'm thinking. So there, there's this trap, I think, where there's a big box Rosenberg that came that's come out, and it's about farming. And they go, oh, right, yeah, that's that. And... You see it so often, I think, with big box Rosenberg games, where you see people say, "Well, if you played one, then you know you don't need the other ones." It's as if they're completely interchangeable. Mm-hmm. And I, I just started wondering the other day if this game had come out and it wasn't designed by Rosenberg, if it was a new design and nobody heard about, I think it would be getting a lot more hype than it has done. Yeah, and so um, yeah, it's got fields, it's got crops, it's got sheep in it, and so yeah. Exactly. So he's almost sort of a victim of his own success, I think. That, you know, he's had the several what for other designers would be masterpieces over the years. And you can't help but compare them to each new game. You can't help but compare it to his previous ones. Mm. Um, Though, and I mean, the, I, the other thing, I, I, I'm not hearing people say, this is the latest version, this, this is the best version so far. No. Throw, throw, throw away all your older ones. So I don't think it can be quite as simple as that. Okay, so as I say, I haven't been... Uh, I've, I've been deliberately avoiding any, any other people's opinions on it as I try to come to my own, so I, have, I don't know what people have been saying. Um, it is you know, it is a big box game that is about farming, but it actually feels very different to his other games. Um, mm. So I did see one person fairly early on. I think after I'd played two or three games of it and I was quite enjoying it, I saw somebody said, oh, I watched a playthrough of it and it doesn't seem like there's a lot of decision space. Um, you, you, you get the cards and it seems like there's no decision. You want, you want to play the cards. Yeah. And I thought about it. I thought, oh, that's true. But so why am I enjoying it? And the point is, I think that those cards make the game. Um, you are going to want to play those cards. The decision isn't whether or not to play those cards. It's how of, how am I going to play that card? Mm-hmm. And they what those cards do is present you with a little tactical puzzle in every single round. You all There's four different types of cards in the game, and you can play them at any time. They're a free action. You don't have to play them on your turn, which obviously as a solo game is <laughs> less relevant. Yeah. But you can play them at any time. Um, some of them lead to ongoing bonuses. Some of them let you draw up other cards. Some of them just score you points on their own. 
they're all very powerful things. And in order to, to win the game in multiplayer, in order to get um, a winning score in the, the solo game, which is over 100 points, I think, um, you are going to have to play those cards and make the most of them. Mm-hmm. So it becomes... And presumably a, they have various costs to get them into play. Exactly. They've all got costs associated with them to get them into play. So where is your overarching game strategy for each game is going to be exactly the same, that you'll want to move... Um, there are these buildings in a very thematic, I want to move my building to the right and uncover more scoring spots. <laughs> your overarching strategy in each game is going to be to do that. That's what's going to score you between 50 and 70 points at the end of the game. So that's, you know, between 50% or, or, or over 50% of your total score is going to come from doing that. Yeah. Um, to win the game, you're going to have to play these cards as well and get the bonus scores from them. So on a round-to-round basis, um, you're going to be trying to work out how to get the resources you need to keep moving these buildings up, yeah. but also to play these cards. So as I say, that's sort of shaping the tactics of the game. And it's the cards that really make it. Um, beyond that, there's a, a central board, which is a, a worker placement board. Um, yeah. But unlike, it works slightly differently to traditional worker placement. You don't have a worker that you put out onto a spot and claim that spot and that's that. Um, you have worker cubes, for want of a better phrase. And each spot on the, on the main board, um, has, can take up to, can be triggered three times. The first time somebody goes there it requires one worker. And then the next person that goes there requires two workers and then three workers. So it's cheaper if you go there earlier. Uh, a, l- a little bit like Keyflower in that re- regard. I believe so. I haven't played Keyflower, oh, so okay. I can't say for certain. Um, but then those workers don't clear out necessarily at the start of the next round. Um, so there's a, a timer deck that you turn over, the one card at the start of each round, which will clear out the top row from certain quadrants of that main board. So generally there's going to be stuff sitting around there. There's going way. to be stuff sitting around getting in your way. Um, so, yeah, the, the, as the game goes through, it's going to get tighter to take those um, to do any action. It's going to be more expensive to do it, um, and there's going to be fewer opportunities to do it. So it's a really interesting little puzzle I haven't quite seen anywhere else. It is innovative, isn't it? As I say, I think I, I wonder if it was a, a new designer, whether there people would be talking about this more. Whereas hmm. it's it's perhaps too easy to say, oh, it's another Rosenberg farming game. Yeah, well, one of the things people have been saying is it's got field rotation and it's got sheep with a lifespan. And yeah, but that that's not that's thematic, and this is not a game about being hmm. a simulation of running a farm. No, so. there, there are things in it that feel thematic. I like the idea of um, of fields being more productive and then less productive and then you can let them go fallow and then they'll be more productive again. I like that mm-hmm. idea. Yeah. Um, then there's, then as I say, there's these, you know, the fact that you're move, literally moving buildings along a scoring track. That, that is certainly not thematic. <laughs> Unless there's something about Northern Germany I know nothing about where buildings do literally move through the village. Yeah. I mean, you, you, you could implement it perhaps as, you know, we are adding a new extension to this building so that it's more it's better at what it does or something like that but yeah 
it's it's obviously easier to do moving a thing along a track. Fair enough. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I think you know at that point it's perhaps meant to be more. Well, I think actually the rules say that you're you're a village. You're not a family. Um, so that these mm. buildings represent your your village, and moving them to the right to the right, um, is yeah. Obviously, you're not literally moving the buildings. It's representing the the growing prosperity of the village. Yeah. Um, so that there's bits of it that are more abstract than others. But as I say, I've, I've been really, really enjoying the game. Um, as a solo game, I think I probably rate it in my personal sort of top five Rosenberg big box games. Um, which isn't the yeah, same th- as his. Th- this, this is a man for whom that's a serious choice. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Um, how I'd think about it as a as a multiplayer game, I don't know. I suspect the experience wouldn't change too much. Um, it might be a little bit tighter on the board in certain places, um, but it's not going to change as much between solo and multiplayer as, for example, Le Havre or Glass Road do, mm. um, which become very different games in the multiplayer experience. So Glass One... Road, there's another game I played multiplayer. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I have seen mentioned is... Um... In, in the multiplayer mode, there's quite a lot of randomness in, in your starting, I think it's cards in particular. Mm-hmm. And at least some players are saying, yeah, I've, I've, I feel I've, it, if I get the wrong cards, I've lost before I really started the game if, if, if my opponents don't. But yeah, presume, presume that's not something you, you've, you've noticed in the, in the solo. No, no. I mean, yeah, you know, you're, it, it you're might dealt. It's just me a matter of, you know, cut your coat to fit the cards you're dealt. Yeah, I think it probably is. I think, you know, you're dealt, um, a certain number of cards at the start of the game. They're, they're as random in the solo game as it would be in the multiplayer game. They're just being dealt from a deck of cards. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, as you say, that, that then shapes your, your strategy and your tactics in the opening couple of rounds as you try and get engines up and running. Um, I, at no point have I had a, yeah, if I had a starting hand of cards where I've thought, you know, that I can't do anything with this. It's just been a case of trying to work out how I can do something with it, which is a very different feeling. Um, yeah. and, and I do, I do feel like that is the core of this game. That's what makes the game interesting. And if you don't like that tactical idea of trying to make the, trying to, trying to work out how to play these cards on a round to round basis, not should I play the card or shouldn't I, but trying to work out how you're going to play them with, mm-hmm getting the resources to pay for them that that's that how you feel about that depends how you're going to feel about the game really that that, that is what makes it unique yeah i i have to say that as a fan of german beers when you when you say the name to me i think hops i think beer is going to be a disappointment yeah (laughs) (laughs) but on the other hand you know I know it's a Rosenberg game, so, so I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not going in expecting a, a, a thematic thing. No, I mean, it, it's, it's got, um, hot meeples. We, we can. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how many other games have hot meeples. Not many. Not heard of any before. I mean, there, there have been games explicitly about brewing, but yeah. Uh... Anyway, so that's Halatau. Um, I've been enjoying it. Uh, yeah, <laughs> some people <laughs> will or won't, depending on their feeling about <laughs> trying to play cards. <laughs> I think, to be to be fair, I would say to anybody who who is uh, use, using this as a guide to games to look at, use it as a guide to games to look at. Do do not order anything on the basis of what. Uh, certainly not what I say. Oh God, uh, no! Not <laughs> who, who, who are we anyway? Uh, I. Personally, I, I I love to use this to say, okay, I will find out more. I'll w- watch some videos. I will when when conventions happen, try to play it at a convention. Absolutely, 
Absolutely. Do do research. So I think you're trying out new games. Mm. On to the next thing. So, after last month, Roger, you sent me a copy of Vault. Mm-hmm. So what do you make um, of it? <laughs> that's, a, that's a pregnant pause there, isn't it? Um, I'll be honest and say it's not my kind of game. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can see how it would appeal to to some people. Um, shall I shall I confess I've never played Robo Valley. Okay, that, that, are you going to certainly... think less of me for that? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm I'm a little surprised though because this feels very much like a game that is an answer to Robo Rally in, in the same well, way. Well, that, this is know, why I mentioned Ashes it. Ashes is an answer to Magic, and, yeah, and I, I suspect you you might you might well think, oh well, that's a rule. It's like that, rather than ah, oh, I see that that rule is to fix that problem in Robo Rally. Yeah, I, I mentioned that because I, I was guessing, and you just confirmed it for me that it takes it's taken more than just thematic inspiration from from Robo Rally. Mm, yeah, I, I I would say that, that I I definitely got a feel that that there are certain problems of of Robo Rally, particularly the earlier versions, that most people agree are mm-hmm. problems. Particularly the way you can eliminate a player, or you can not eliminate a player but get get them to the point where their turns are no fun to play until they've mm-hmm. been knocked out and had a chance to restart and things like that. And I think what one of the reasons, for example, you, you get the um you only program three dice, you always program three dice. If mm. you get destroyed, you you come back at the end of that three dice turn is is to stop that happening. Right. Um yeah, so I I played it with one AI robot, three AI or two AI robots and three AI robots. Mm-hmm. Or at least I tried with three AI robots. I quickly realised that, according to standard standard setup, two of them would just kill each other straight away. So that doesn't really work. Hmm, I thought they were meant to go after the players for preference, but I may have that wrong. Um, well, the, the trouble is that they always start facing each other, mm-hmm. so they're instantly in sight of each other. So just start shooting at each other. Yeah. <laughs> One of the things I do, I do like about this is that you you can combine uh, the. Uh, Bot players with with um, multiple human players. So you, yeah, you have, I yeah. thought that was an interesting um, interesting choice they made. That you know, it, it's got these two AI. You know, it's got the components in there for playing two AI robots, um, but the box lists two to four players, not one to four. Mm. I don't know if it's designed as a solo event. It's, it's certainly playable that way. I mean, you have. It's completely um, playable that way. But it, but it's interesting that I mean, so that the 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 AI bots that are in there are for the two or three player game, um, according to the rules. Um, the box explicitly says it's two to four, not one to four. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I just thought that was a really interesting decision that it, it's got this AI component in there, um, but it isn't marketed as a solo game in any way. It it works fine. I, um, I wonder whether that's some of that at least is because they're fairly predictable. And in in order to be a fairly simple system, that I, I don't think you're ever ever really in doubt as to what it's going to do. You can say, if I go here, 
he's going to see me and go there. That kind of thing. To to an extent. Um, but you have to place all of your cubes straight away. Um, and then you roll for the AI one at a time. True. So you can't, you can't predict exactly what it's going to do. I've been in one or two uh, multiplayer games on Yukata where, where they have implemented the bots as well as the uh, normal mm-hmm. uh, human player game. And I, I have seen some some of the really expert players clearly taking advantage of, okay, the, you know, the, the bot's decision space is going to put it roughly here. Yeah. Therefore, I will try to get my opponent into that space and be somewhere else myself, that kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, okay, I can see that. I mean, I think um, you know, it it won't move past because it, it according to the way the rules are written um it, it every square it moves it checks to see if it can see another robot or a victory point token so you know mm-hmm. which direction it's going to move in yeah and if it gets to a victory point it will stop it won't move off it yeah. so at that point yes you can absolutely exploit it and just run up and push it down a pit <laughs> not that i'd do something like that obviously oh pits are great <laughs> <laughs> So there, that, yeah, there is that sort of, yeah, it, there's certain things that you, there, there's certain movements that you can exploit that you know it's going to act in a certain way. Um, but you don't know exactly how long it's going to take to, to get there. And, and sure. I mean, that was why I was interested in trying it with more robots to see if that created the added chaos of, oh, it's going to see other robots before it sees the victory point. Um, but you will have to change the setup from the rule book, as I say, because otherwise you've got two AI robots facing each other, mm. which is a simple fix. You just start them in a place other than what the rule book tells you to do. Yeah, just offset them a bit. Yeah. Um, I didn't try... that. It's, it's got the campaign mode in there as well, in the rules. Yes. I, I meant to try that, and I ran out of time and didn't get round to it. Mm. Um, it does yeah. say it's for four players, the campaign, so I don't really know how well it would work with the AI, whether it's worth it or not. As far as I remember, that's basically it, it, it comes down to you need to win a match in each arena, yeah, or, or yeah. before you get uh, sort and, of the king of the castle thing. And what, while you are the champion of that arena, you get you get an extra upgrade card. Mm. Yeah, what one of the things I like is it does give you some suggestions on yes, you can use the bots with the upgrade cards and mm-hmm. you know, how how they're going to use them. Because uh, I, I think a lot of AI systems would, would just skim over that. So yeah. it, it does at least give you a fairly clear choice. You, you don't you don't have that. It's called a bot system, but you have to make a decision for the bot anyway. To, no, it, to it's fairly extent. fairly clear and easy to run. I mean, as a, as I say, I find it strange that 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 it has AI rules in the game and components for running two AI robots um, with nothing to stop you running a third. As I said, mm-hmm. um, but <laughs> but the player count is for two to four, and not one to four. I find that very strange. Um, I guess the publisher decided that people wouldn't be interested in playing the game solo. I don't know. Hmm. I, yeah, I haven't, haven't particularly noticed that. I mean, I, I, I was introduced to it as a game that you could solo. Yeah. Um, so yeah. Um, yeah. As I say, it's not my, it's not my kind of thing. I don't think I don't particularly, <laughs> well, e- either robots or programming games. Although <laughs> <laughs> uh, I have played, um, what's it called? The one with the train, Cult Express. Cult Express. Yeah, um, I have played I that a few times. Yeah, and that's perfectly fun. I think in a in a, a social context, perhaps perhaps um, 
that's something else for me that I prefer programming, getting him in the in the social context where you can all laugh at each other's mistakes. Mm. Um, Samurai is the other programming game that I've played, which is obviously a, a rather different beast altogether. I've not tried that at all. Um, yeah, sort of a heavy area control Euro-ish game with a cube tower, um, but your your actions are taken. You decide your entire actions for that round at the start of the game. So then, you say you want to go and invade territory C, and somebody's mm. already <laughs> done that before you. Then bad luck. <laughs> right. It's a very it's a very strange mismatch of mechanisms. It's an old uh, Knizia game, I think. It reminds me a bit of some of the uh, first war games I played, where, where they were trying to simulate. You know, yes, you you are the general. You have this view of the battlefield. You're sending the orders in three turns' time. The order is going to reach the guy you sent it to. Mm. Who who may or may not actually obey it? Yeah, well, this is it, yeah, this is it exactly. Yeah, you so say you can program sort of at, at turn three in round four, you're going to attack from territory B to territory C. But by the time you get there, you don't own territory B anymore because somebody else has already taken it from you. Mm-hmm. So you've just completely wasted that <laughs> that turn. <laughs> and but, uh, yeah, different game. So that was um, that was Vault. Yeah, and you and you sent to me Small Island Switch. I will admit to being a little surprised, but I really very much enjoyed this. I'm very glad to hear it. Um, as as I think you're aware, it's not not quite my usual style of game, but no. um, it it starts off. Uh, it gets my favour with this lo- lovely art by mm. Aurelie Guarino, uh, which is you know, it, it it's thematic. It gives you an idea of the sort of thing that's going on, but it doesn't distract. It doesn't it doesn't leap out at you and say, "Look at me." No. No, I think I said um, said last week. You know, it's it's a very bright, cheerful, well produced game. Mm. And going going along with that, and I, I think I think the art's a good match for that. The, the uh, obviously there is conflict, but mm. it it's not you know military type conflict. You're not trying to smash the no. other guy. You're just trying to get more points. Mm. Um, so feels like that. I don't know if there's an actual name for this within the context of tile placement, but that sort of tile placement with connections where you have like, like the city pieces in Carcassonne or mm-hmm. practically all of Isle of Sky. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's that, it's that same you, kind of thing of building up a landscape. Wait, we, and you, you have to match up, uh, the, this bit of island has to match mm. island and sea on the other side, that kind of thing. And I, I've talked about the abstraction gap and th- this kind of jumps that. Um, maybe, maybe because there isn't really any, any individual person in the game world that I am playing. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 there's that level of abstraction that at the same time says, okay, well, yes, all right, this is a game, but I can, I can see how it works. Rel- relatively uncomplicated, you know, relatively small set of things yeah. to keep track yeah. of. You, what is it? Three colored resources and then yeah, the temples and the so. ports. Mm. Um, so, so you can glance across the board and say, "Okay, this island's got that many of these things, that many of these things." Yeah, it it, it just I I play, set up to play the first game and I played it and then then I eh, I think I'll just play a second game. <laughs> I, I will that's, admit that's the I, best thing when you do that with a game. The the rules can be a bit clunky. Uh, I think mm. may that some of that might be the translation, mm-hmm. uh, but particularly. Uh, if, as in my case, your first game is against the solo opponent, you're trying to work out what's in the base game and what changes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that can be a little fiddly. And I'm, I'm still not completely sure as to whether I should still have been the first player every round. But 
I think I, I, so. I think, yeah, I think in a solo game you are, yeah. Mm. Um, you, you were talking about the bot difficulty, uh, mm. and I, I, I beat the bot on level one and, and lost to it on level two, so fair enough. Okay. Um, but <laughs> you, you, you're saying that the, the difficulty jumps because it's scoring five points per house, mm. uh, per, effectively per objective it completes. Uh, rather than the one at the levels one and two, but yeah. I, I think what they're trying to do with that is is not just make it more difficult, but give it a different flavour. Because at the same time, um, in the deck of cards that determine what the bot does, you, you've got a huge balance of your nine place another island tile cards versus one Scorn. end of the round cards. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and th- then you go up to you go up to level four, and it actually gets negative five points. For each objective it completes. Okay. Yeah, I think you I guess you're right there. It's trying to make you adapt your strategy. When when you go to the level four, it's it's got six try to end the round cards and only one mm. try to place another island tile card. So so it's going to be cutting the round short at, at the the moment those six tiles for the round are gone. Yeah. Uh, so I, I obviously they've tried to register difficult level. I I don't think it's just a. Um, not not the straightforward scaling of difficulty, but changing the strategy as well. Hmm. Mm. Which is which is an interesting way of looking at it. And I, I even found some some ways of uh, working with the bot. Obviously, not not all that effectively, given given that mm. I wasn't reliably beating it. But for example, it, it it's always going to do its placement um, in in a horizontal or vertical line from your placement. Mm. So so if you can if you can build something such that I I want to go on the diagonal next turn. I, yeah. I know, I know the bot isn't going to block me. That kind of thing. Yeah, which, which was uh, in fun. And yeah, I really very much like this. And this, this I, I has can hear this, it in your voice. This is yeah, this is good. This, this has now gone on my pick it up sometime when I, when I have space to uh, <laughs> store it list. Which yeah, I don't have the space at the moment. But yeah, and just a, a generally attractive, pleasant. I, I, I'm as guilty of enjoying dark games as anybody else, but there's not the only <laughs> things I want to play, especially at the moment. No, and there's just this, this there's room for both. Cheerful, yeah. you 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 could build a a narrative on this or, or friendly competition just as much as you could. You know, we are struggling mm. to be the best. Yeah. And yeah, that, that, that's a lot of fun. Um, and there's also an advanced mode that I haven't even touched, which makes the objectives more complicated. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot of a lot of variety in there. But as, as I, you know, as I said, I think from the, from the solo perspective, it, it's it's got everything that everybody says they want. Mm. Yeah, that um, definitely held together for me. And yeah, uh, the the difficulty of a, of a solo game is one of, one of those challenging things because yeah, if if, if you make it hard, hard enough. Um, to to uh, be be a challenge to you, then it's going to smash me flat and let me uninterested in trying mm. again. So, the the fact that I did actually manage to win on my first game only by one point, yes, but I did, <laughs> um, suggests that that, that and, and at the same time, you, you're you're saying the high difficulty levels are, are, are still being a challenge for you. Yeah, um, suggests that they've got that right as well. Yeah. So that's definitely right. And yeah, I would also like to try this multiplayer sometime and see how that changes it. Oh, I'm, I'm really glad to hear that's been a, been a success with you. I think, you know, as I said last week for last month, um, for me, it's, it does everything right. I can't quite 
fault it for anything, but it, just, it but it doesn't have that spark where I absolutely love it and want to play it all the time. Yeah, but that's not necessarily the game's fault. That's 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 just something about a uh, clicking with me. Well, there are very few games I'd want to play all the time. To be fair, mm. yeah, um, sure. I, I have a large collection, and one one of the reasons for that is is that I get into a mood for a particular style of game. And then mm. I'll play that for a bit, and then then my, my mood will shift, and I'll play something else. Mm. But I, I could definitely see this being in it, um, particularly if it works well, it works as well multiplayer. Though I I admit I w- I will have to end up rewriting the rulebook if I do that. <laughs> it, it won't be the first time I've done this. No, this is this is one of your hobbies, rewriting rulebooks. <laughs> Sooner or later, a publisher will ask me to do it, and then it will go horribly wrong. <laughs> Good. No, I'm glad to hear that, Roger. That sounds like uh, it sounds like our biggest success so far in exchanging games. I guess so. So, uh, yeah, small islands. So, Roger, we're joined today by Virginia Hickson from. I'm going to say Envoy. Should I say Envoy? Envoy. Envoy. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome. She's a company specialising in helping provide um, convention support for publishers. Would that be correct? Accurate? That's probably our most um, well-known. Yeah. Uh, we do a lot of support outside of conventions as well, but people will interact with us more often than not at conventions. Okay. Great. And that's obviously a US-based company, so many US yes. conventions. Um which has made a an interesting leap for you during lockdown, I think. Yes, we have gotten to a heck of a lot more of the um, international conventions through the internet. So we've managed to branch out a little bit. Wonderful. I'll just explain for any listeners, if there's any random pauses here, because Virginia's got some adorable cats that keep trying to join in with us. <laughs> This is Sagan. He's a scientist. <laughs> so, yeah, so we invited uh, Virginia on because Roger suddenly booted up this email to me last week, I think, <laughs> saying, oh, I think online meetups are so much better than um, than online conventions. Well, I, th- I think there's a scale to it, to be fair. I mean, basically, al- along with everybody else, I've, I've been going to online conventions for the last year rather than the face-to-face sort. Um and what, what I've noticed is, you know, obviously the publisher is paying for their presence at the convention, and that's that's where most of the money to the convention is coming from, rather than people's right. memberships. So they, you know, they want to sell their products, they want to do demos, they want to have a sales channel, that kind of thing, and that's fine. But what what I find I'm missing is the random chat that the the people you just casually meet, the the sense that hey, we. You know, Oh my god, I love your shirt. Where did you get it? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, turning up at a, a big convention, I, I, I'm not fond of, you know, crowds and ma- masses of people in general, but somewhere like Essen or Gen Con back in the day, that, that feeling that, yeah, there, there are, there are thousands of people around me and we all basically like games. Right. Um, and if we're talking about uh, online meetups, that, that is easier in some respects because it's a bunch of people who already know each other a bit. So, you know, we get together, we start chatting. A, th- a thing we've, I think a lot of people are doing is get together and, or on Zoom or Jitsi or whatever and then say, okay, now, now we go, go over to BGA or Yukata or whatever to play some games, keeping the video call going for the actual chat mode. 
Right. So, is is there a way these can be reconciled? Do you think? I mean, what what can digital conventions do to have more of a convention feel? So I have found, and yes, this might be just a touch biased, but um, <laughs> the convention that I have heard from the grapevine that has done the best job of getting something resembling the feeling of meeting in the halls and chatting was actually the convention that um, our uh, father company, Double Exposure, runs called Metatopia. Mm-hmm. To give you perspective, Metatopia, it was run in November, first week of November, and it is a playtest convention. It is meant to be uh, a professional development convention. Mm-hmm. We scratched the playtesting portion of it for this convention, and we stuck to our panel track so that people could get together and talk about whatever the thing is, you know, best practices as a playtester, how to get, you know, how to actually make your game so that um, publishers are interested. There was a, you know, we ran, I don't even remember how many, but I think it was like 105 panels over the course of four days. Mm -hmm. And because we knew our community, we had created our Discord to create the space based off of what our community was going to want. And our community managed to actually do the, okay, we're sitting in the bar, um, I think we called it something else, um, Discord, and chatted until 4 o'clock in the morning, long after we had any panels running. Right. I think this is really interesting. I mean, I think what Roger's saying is that the reasons, or the things that he wants to get out of a, a convention, he doesn't find in the online conventions. Whereas I think what you're saying, Virginia, is that actually it's required a bit of um, going back to the drawing board from the organizer's perspective to say, well, this is a different platform. What can we do well? Right. And it requires a ton of work from the organizer's um, position. And it requires them to actually commit to it. Like a lot of the conventions, the ones that, and admittedly, this is a different type of gaming mm-hmm. convention, but a lot of the time their focus is on getting games on the table. And that's, you know, needed because there are plenty of people who need their game fix mm-hmm. and they might not have a gaming group and their gaming group is their online convention. Like, I can't tell you how many people who don't have people they can play games with. Therefore, they're going to go to every virtual convention they possibly can to get their gaming fix. Mm-hmm. And so... I get that there's a different perspective from a lot of organizers, but if organizers really do want that sense of feeling, then they have a lot more work to do. And I can't even blame them for not doing it, because believe it or not, organizing an online convention is more work than organizing a physical one. You wouldn't think it would be, but it is. I, it oh, I can well believe it. <laughs> well, if you've got people in place at a physical convention, they're there, they're going to do something, because otherwise they're just going to be sitting in their rooms all day. If, I, if I'm at a virtual convention, I can always say, okay, I'm just going to step away and be in my house. <laughs> so so I think you've got to drive that engagement. Yes. And that's the thing is you have to actually create the environment where people want to interact with each other virtually outside of the game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that I, and I can't even tell you what the, what the secret ingredient is because part of it is that our community has, you know, Avi, um, Avenel Wing is the one who does a lot of the social uh, engineering in on our team. And so mm-hmm. she would be able to, to give you a little more information than me. But she has spent the past two decades creating the community 
with the intent of making sure that it is safe and it is engaging and it is everything. And mm. I know that she does a heck of a lot more work than the vast majority of conventions. And so we already had, we had a, had a basis to grow on. And so part of it is that if, you know, it's going to be a lot harder for most other conventions because they don't have that solid foundation to grow on. Yeah. And I guess that speaks to the different kinds of convention as well. Um, I mean, if I think that the last convention I was really involved with from the digital perspective was um, Essen, yeah. which quite honestly, you know, this is probably, I don't know, is this a controversial thing to say on a board game con- podcast? <laughs> I hate Essen. I really do. It's a big, it's, it's a big shopping centre basically, isn't it? it there's, yeah. there's, there's nothing this... going on apart from buying games. And that means the online convention side of it is very much geared to game demos. It was much, oh, in, at least from what I've heard, this was actually, the virtual Essen was my first Essen, but from mm. what I've been told that Essen is much more marketed to publishers and retailers. Sure. It is yeah. more of an expo than it, it that's is exactly a that. convention. It's yeah. exactly that. Um, I mean, it, look, look at the financial side, the ticket prices. I mean, they're not trivial, but, but the, 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 the entry ticket prices for members of the public are, are nowhere near covering costs. It's all about the booth rental. And I've seen some of the price lists and, you know, being one row further forward in one of the big halls mm. can put, you know, 20% on your cost if it's that crucial right. row where people are going to walk past more. So, yeah. And the same thing is probably true for, for Gen Con, at least Gen Con online. Um, like, you so, know. Similarly, UK Games Expo, um, have very much a sliding scale of where the footfall is. So yeah, that's that's fair enough. That the publishers are prepared to pay more because they got the extra sales. Right. But I, I I think the convention organisers are now starting to realise that yeah, we can have publishers, but if pe- if the um, if the players don't turn up and do the demos, then the publishers aren't getting value for money either. Yes, and yes, they definitely are have decreased the the publisher cost for a lot of the online conventions, mm-hmm. and, and and for a lot of them, it's it, the right now the convention's main goal is to stay relevant. Sure, like yeah. you know, and and it's not even like a lot of them are saying, no, I'm going to take a, a a hit this year, but if I don't run a convention, I'm screwed next year. Well, interestingly, just before we started. Uh, recording this, we received. Oh, I received an email saying that Aircon isn't running this year. Now okay. you've probably never heard of Aircon. Second I don't biggest know. UK convention, I think. Yeah, I think so. It's about three and a half thousand attendees. Um, it's Rogers and my favourite convention, but that is it's. Although it's second biggest in the UK, it's still a relatively small convention. It's all about people playing games, basically. Even if it does have a relatively large retail section, and they've made the decision to cancel. And they've already announced the dates that it's going to be running again next year. But, you know, that, that is obviously a big hit and a big decision for them. There's no getting away from that. But part, factoring into that, Roger and I, when we heard it, said, oh, well, of course it was bound to. Right. And I think, you know, we, we were looking at that from the perspective of it's primarily a social event, not a retail event. So how does that fit in with, you know, is it of, we just said the comparison to Essen where it was all set up, you know, they had their digital booths with the publishers and they were running game demos and all of that kind of thing. And that's a very different experience to the sort of convention you've been running electronically, I think. Right. Well, we only had the one that we ran electronically. Mm-hmm. Our normal two that are actually typical gaming conventions, we mm-hmm. decided not to run because we cannot do the 
face to face getting the 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 feels that we knew that we couldn't create that and so yeah. we decided to scratch it because we didn't want to create just another online convention yeah. Yeah. and for us our our um budget is not reliant on those conventions we 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 barely break even the, those mm-hmm. conventions we we rely on to help our company, we, you know, we, we, we do publicity for our companies and we, we continue to help the uh, community, but that's not why we, yeah. we do the convention. You know, do, do you think you have to have the community existing as a platform before running a, a convention in, along those lines? If you want the actual feel of the, the running into somebody at the hallway, you mm. need to have something. It might, maybe not as strong as ours, but like you need something. Like, Aw Shucks did a decent job. I, I didn't know about Aw Shucks before the fall, but they, they, you know, obviously it wasn't on the scale of a normal convention, but mm. because they were more video centric, people were hanging out and watching videos together as, you know, mm. the thing streamed, so they had their friend on, and so they still got something. You know, um, maybe, maybe having that video centric made it easier. I, I haven't figured it out yet, cause I, I don't have enough, I don't have enough data points. Um, but I really do think the bigger conventions are finding it significantly harder because they don't have that same community where people know each other just by yeah. walk. Like, I might not know everyone's name, but I recognize 50% of the people at our double exposure conventions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so- like, I could say, hey, I remember playing this game with you, you know, <laughs> that you're not going to get that at uh, an Essen or a UK Game no. Expo or a Gen Con. Yeah. So, like, the, the little conventions. people, something like that. Right. The little conventions we've helped out have found it better because they can still play games with their friends, even if they're not getting the same community. It's still a better sense. And so, like, the ga- the conventions where there's two or three hundred people showing up online, um, they're not necessarily, quote-unquote, better conventions, but people are feeling better out of them. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's one tiny role-playing convention. It, it's normally limited to 30 people because that's the size of the local hall they can rent. <laughs> uh, it's a Call of Cthulhu and related games. And but, at that point, it's a game a game meetup. And yeah, so that's yeah. probably that feeling that you were talking about earlier. You know, it's that, that sense of yeah, and, and that that ran virtually last year. And basically, the, the, the guy who organizes it was, was doing a live stream uh, all the first morning, just so welcoming people, they, they jump on the Discord, they, they, and he's talking back on the audio, uh, just to say, yeah, th- th- this is our this is our friendly get together, even though we can't actually get together, right? And I think that that helped a lot in just having a feel of, yeah, th- this is the convention moved online rather than an online thing calling itself. Uh, thinking earlier about what you were saying about um, being able to skip a year, I've, I've Aircon have just said specifically. We thought about running a virtual convention, but it's not the way we work. So we decided mm. not to. I've seen a lot of other organizations saying, we feel we've got to do something. Otherwise, you know, next year there is a hole, even if we can run again. Cause yeah, we don't do something every year. People think we've got away or, or yeah. do something else. And I think that's shown with Aircon as well. The fact that they've left it until what, six weeks, not even six weeks prior to the convention before canceling it officially. Sure. I can tell you that a lot of conventions, the reason why they're waiting so long to officially cancel is because of their contracts with the hotels. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's probably part of it. I think that's part of it, although there's a slight complication with Aircon that they're, um, they're at the convention centre in Harrogate, which is being used as a Nightingale hospital by the British government at the moment. Yeah, they, so they actually, no, <laughs> <that was> <laughs> they, they actually put it off a month from the usual date because they, they, 
the convention centre said, by this point, the government has said they're not going to want us anymore because the winter thing's passed off. But, Which I don't really believe, but that's another story. <laughs> <laughs> so, Roger, can I, can I ask you, what do you want out of a convention? And what would you find... In, 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 so that, that's just any convention, but then looking at a digital convention, an online convention, what, what would you want out of an online convention? Well, I know what I want, I just don't know how to do it. Uh, and that is the, the idea that, you know, may, maybe I, I sit down to demo a game with a bunch of random strangers. And then as we step away from that, you know, we're, we're no longer getting the game demo, but maybe we chat, we say, oh, I, you know, I, I'm interested in this thing, I'm, I'm heading over there next. Uh, do you want to try that too? <laughs> That, that's, that's the sort of thing I, I guess as a uh, games expo or an Essen. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, yeah. Maybe, maybe I'm only going to talk with this person for 10 minutes. Maybe, maybe I'm going to, you know, see him again the next day, whatever. But that, that, that feeling that just, just a little bit more connection than, okay, it's now demo slot 18. We sit down, we do the demo, we go away again. I look for another demo slot. So that at that, at that point, I'm, I'm not really talking with people. I'm, t- I'm talking with the fel- with other gamers. And it's not meant to be insulting, but I, th- I think you know what I mean. Do, do you think that's something that's possible to do from an online perspective, Virginia, or, or should we just be accepting it's different? So I would say that individual publishers, and I actually mean publishers mm. as opposed to conventions, are doing a decent job of um, promoting that. So some publishers have figured out how to make discord work for them Mm -hmm. and so a lot of them will will you know at conventions will have a whole bunch of chats that are like special giveaways or hey let's talk about you know like pump ups you know hey everybody you know good luck at your at the tournament or and so some publishers when they put in the time and effort on their discord that they might connect to the convention uh players will get together and chat there and so it's not a a it's it's not a full it's a band-aid as opposed mm-hmm. to an actual solution but it is something that is working for some people so like i you know i would i end up um being on several uh different discords when a convention weekend is happening because i'm helping out six or seven different companies and i'm watching them yeah. i'm like okay is there is there something that i need to step in do i need another herald to cover this game because this herald has gotten sick or their internet whatever and so i see what happens in a whole bunch of different places at the same time and you can tell which c- company has put in the time and said i want to have uh, I want to build my own little community within mm. this convention and which hasn't. It's not a full solution, but it is something that can be helpful. And I'm suggesting it because I know that, that we've got some connection to Dragon Dog Productions and you guys yeah. are an example of somebody who, like, I, I've seen your Discord. You've got a community there. And so, you know, as opposed to some others where they only have the Discord for the purpose of a booth. Mm-hmm. Not every company has the the resources to make that work. But so what I would do, um, if you are a player who is desperate for that that sense of community, find the publisher who's doing it right and start from there because mm-hmm. it's at least a starting point. Um, you know. That's really interesting. So I mean, I, I mean, you're almost saying that rather than thinking about conventions in terms of you know the the, the the brand Essen or Genkin or whatever else it should, we should be thinking about it in terms of the publisher and at that point do we even need a convention <laughs> well you've got, got to get the people in from somewhere oh well I know but 
Yeah. And, and, and it's just because, mo- especially the big conventions, they're, they're, they're too large to have mm. a community to, to build on. Like, yes, there is a Gen Con community, but it's not like most yeah. of the people know each other. It is a, it is yeah. a feel, and the feel is gotten by being there. I mean, I guess the sort of extreme example of this, and it's not something I know much about at all, um, would be PortalCon. Okay, I don't know that one. So that's um, Portal Publishing have okay. their own convention every year. I think in I Poland. I should know them. They're one of our companies. Well, there you but... go. And they did so. They, they this year they took that online, and that's where they made all their game announcements and everything else. So I don't know how. Yeah, so I, I don't have first-hand experience of it. I don't know how that then. But I mean, that is a publisher running their own convention. And and I what, do you know when that was? Um, just a few weeks ago, I think. It's sort of it's always at the start of the year. I can see Roger furiously typing into his laptop now, so we might find out the answer. I'll have to I'll have to talk to them and see how they went. I know that we had um, not necessarily publishers, but members of the Envoy community running uh, conventions. Mm-hmm. Like we've got Gamecon coming up, you know, who you know run by one of our heralds. Um, that's at the uh, the twenty seventh and twenty eighth of February. And so, like, they're building on part of their community in general, but they're also building on the Envoy community. And so, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have a perfect answer. I'm kind of spitballing. <laughs> Here are things that are working. I, d- I don't think it's a perfect question, to be fair. Yeah. Right. I mean, the, the, question, the question that was posed, I think, from Roger was, this is what I like about physical conventions, and I'm not is, getting is that. Is there a but, way of guessing that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, perhaps the question should be, you know, what is there that an online convention can provide that is that you would like? And it doesn't have to be the same thing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not asking for the full physical convention experience because I know that's impossible. But right. um, I, I'm just, yeah, obvi- yeah my, my game beats have moved to online meetings and I'm still getting the vague feel of, yeah, this is a game meet of people I know. We're playing games. It, it feels more or less the way it normally does. Right, like if you can get eighty to ninety percent of that feeling, that's great. <laughs> yeah, so that this is why I was surprised. I mean, I've start, start, did some of the uh, early digital conventions, so that ju- that just wasn't there. And I, I think, as you say, that there are publishers realizing, but it sounds as if it's the publishers pushing that now more than the conventions are. Well, it, again, depending on the publisher. So I w- when I say the publishers, I'm talking twenty to thirty percent, if that. I'm, I'm guessing know. mainly the smaller ones as well. Actually, it's 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 a mix. So it's yeah, the okay. smaller ones. It's the ones who are social media savvy, mm. <laughs> which I really wouldn't count Dragonborn as. To be honest. <laughs> but I mean, fair. Maybe maybe outside of Discord, but you figured out Discord. Yeah, yeah. I uh, think that's that's probably fair. Um, yeah, I mean, I think that was uh, an evolution of the internal mechanics of how the company worked. Anyway, that it used to be um, because it's very. As a company that works with a lot of people across lots of different countries, and we used right. to communicate via Slack, that moved over to Discord about a year ago, mainly, I think, to integrate um, customers into that conversation more. Um, but, yeah. I, you I, already had that foundation. Yeah, you exactly. You just built on it. Exactly. What, what we struggle with scratch. is Twitter, Facebook, and the other things that <laughs> that none of us have an interest in. <laughs> Yeah. I will, I will, I will get you in touch with Abby. She will help you with that. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds I, good. I, I could certainly name one company that I'm not going to, where in normal times it's all very much, we, we've got one or two, you know, they're, they're, they're based in the, in the southeastern US. They, they've got 
one person in Canada, a, f- a few more people remotely, but basically it's all, we go into the office, we toss ideas around, and they, they've had to make a lot of adjustments for the, for the, inter- mm. of the new internal process. The people who were prepared to continue trying to move with the times were the people who reacted the best to the pandemic situation. The mm. people who were very like, this works for us and we're going to keep doing it are the ones who are struggling. Yeah. Oh, I guess there was a certain amount of short-term denial as well to begin with. That, oh, you know, this is just going to last a few weeks and then we can go back to doing what we were doing. Right. Um, those are perhaps were quicker to say, well, we need to find some way of doing something. <laughs> and the super small companies, the ones who um, are, say, second jobs, a mm. lot of them have just paused. They're like, they're selling their stuff, but they might not necessarily be creating new stuff because they just... Everything takes more energy. And that's yeah. not all of them, but a lot of the really small, like they have five games mm. and they've had the same five games for, for several years. They're just on pause. They, you know, some of them asked us, Oh, hey, can you put X and Y on the schedule? And I'm like, yep, absolutely. We've got those programmed. You know, we've, we've programmed onto tabletop, tabletop simulator for mm-hmm. you. We'll get them on the schedule, you know, but it's, it's the ones who are still trying to like, no, we are making this work. Come hell or high water, we are making this work. Those are the ones who are succeeding the, the most. Hmm. Have you got anything to to add, Virginia? In terms of, um, I think I mean, this is sound. I think a lot of this conversation has been very much like Roger saying, "This is what I want a convention to be." <laughs> is there anything you'd like to say in terms of, well, you know, th- this is what digital conventions can do really well, and maybe you ought to be thinking about them in in these terms instead of just as a, a replacement for a, a normal convention. So one thing that I've I've talked to with a couple of conventions is the ability to um, uh, be an observer mm-hmm. in a game. So and granted, again, this comes from the the part of our job at Envoy is like at Gen Con we'll have we have rows and rows and rows of tables all together. We have a, literally a section of uh, hundreds of tables in Hall CD where people will walk by and say, oh, hey, look at that game. Yeah. And in trying to recreate the, oh, hey, what's this? I wish that a lot of the online conventions would allow a, a, a watcher. Because mm-hmm. in a lot of in Tabletop Simulator, you can have up to 10 people in a game, whether yeah. or not the game allows for 10 people. You know, you can have someone sitting at the table who's just observing. And allowing for that might in- help with that sense of of community because you could still have someone saying, Hey, Hey, I really like what you did there. Why did you do that? Or Mm. something, maybe Mm -hmm. someone from outside of the game, you know, like, Oh, maybe they don't want to actually play the game, but they can watch and observe and, you know, do what they do. I guess it gives them more of an opportunity to say, well, you know, I I can't spend an hour here playing a game, but I can drop in for five, 10 minutes, watch somebody else playing it and drop out and move on to another game. And we've allowed for that. It's some, some of the discords that I've been on have been like, hey, I don't want to actually play this game. Can I observe? And our GMs would be like, absolutely. But that's also because we have encouraged our heralds to allow for that. I'm not so sure if a lot of other um, people who are just random people are even think to do that. Yeah, it's, it's tricky because I, th- I think there's a lot of emphasis on the software side of these are where you put the players. And that, well, all you have to do is... Focus. I mean, yes, I, For, uh, I, I use TTS myself. I realize it's got the spectator mode available, but I, I think uh, it, it doesn't get as much attention as, right, yeah, here is, here is how you can get your player experience. Right. Um, and I think that especially because the one good thing 
um, that I have found from virtual conventions. Obviously, the fact that you can still play games. But this allows for the player who can't afford to go to conventions, has, you know, young kids and can't take mm. the time away. All of a sudden, they're able to go to conventions. And so they can, in theory, have their two-year-old sitting in their lap observing a game and getting an experience that they would not have been able to do um, uh, in the normal physical world. And so that is one thing I'm very happy about yeah. that's come out of virtual Absolutely. conventions. Yeah, I, think I mean, that's a good way of looking at it. It's really increased accessibility for a lot of people. Yeah, so uh, Maybe not so much the people without good internet, but at least... <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, thinking of something like Essen, um, co- coming to it from the UK as I do, it, it would make no sense to go to it for less than four days, which means I've got to book that time off work and the travel time and so on. Yeah. But if, yeah, if somebody can drop in for, you know, 15 minutes here, 15 minutes there, that, that opens it up to them in, in a way that isn't really possible unless you're already living in Essen. Mm. Right. Uh, like I, I, we've never been to Essen because, as in part because of where it it falls in the calendar, it's right before Metatopia. Mm-hmm. But we're spending how much on plane tickets? <laughs> yeah, I think I mean that's yeah that's understandable, and it's part of why you know Gen Con is near enough to Essen in the calendar that the two sort of really reflect each other these days, don't they? You get a lot and- of the same big games appearing at both conventions just because it's different sides of the Atlantic. And a lot of, a lot of the purpose of both Gen Con and, um, Essen from a retailer perspective mm. is what the heck am I buying and being, getting ready for Christmas mm-hmm. and the holidays. Yeah, absolutely. Do, do you think this is going to be sort of my final question? Do, do you think online conventions will carry forth if and when, you know, the, the fabled life returns to normal? Yes. Um, I, do, do you think they'll carry on alongside? So we might see normal Essen with a digital Essen alongside or completely separate events, different kinds of conventions at different times? I think that it's obviously not going to be the same magnitude it is right now. But yeah. I think that, like, I know that we as Metatopia, we are we are preparing to have online digital panels so that our the international people that we have, that we um, managed to get, this mm-hmm. past year can continue to to participate in Metatopia. We are going to make that happen. Mm-hmm. I can get I can almost guarantee you that some of the other conventions are going to have digital aspects. You know, maybe Gen Con, maybe Essen will have something. It might yeah. I don't think it's going to be as large, but I think the number of people that have said this is a thing that I like because of I can't afford travel costs, I can't afford to take the time off. I think it will continue. Uh, I I don't know who and I don't know how how big, but I think it will continue in some form. Over to you then, Virginia. Have you got any final things you'd like to say about it, about what we've been talking about? I think I hit all of my major points. I managed to come up with a couple in the middle that I wasn't expecting. Good. Well, that's that's (laughs) us doing a good job then. I'm glad to hear that. And is there anything else you'd like to mention, plug, while you're here? Uh, come join us at the Envoy Gateway. We are running games every day online. So, uh, it's literally, uh, let me just double check this. Dex, uh, <laughs> is it EnvoyGateway.com? I should know this. It's EnvoyGateway.com. There we go. That's an invitation for you as well there, Roger. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much for joining us, Virginia. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. Maybe see you sometime virtually. Somewhere. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and once we're finally physical, we'll make something happen. I'm going to make it to Essen eventually. 
<laughs> well, yeah, you've heard my opinion on it already. Whereas, I, yes, but it's great for our business for us to be there and support it. I, I was told you you ought to go there once, and that, I, that was what I always felt. I felt like I should go once, and, and since, you know, since I've then, done I've it, and I year, end up, so. yeah. That's is it. You, end, you say, oh, you should go once, and then you don't like it, and you end up keep going back every year. I don't know why. <laughs> it's an addiction. It's fine. <laughs> that was More Games Than Time, episode three. Thank you very much for listening. And uh, yeah, give us a comment on the website. <laughs> 